0: Hello and welcome to the Leading Through Uncertainty podcast series. I'm your host, Jude Jennison from Leaders by Nature. And in this podcast, I interview leaders from different organisations and industries to find out more about the challenges they face in leading through uncertainty and how they overcome them. Sakib Bhatti became the youngest president of the Asian Business Chamber of Commerce in Birmingham when he was only 28 years of age. He shares his experience as an auditor in the banking crisis, where people dismissed questions as preposterous that later turned out to be the crucial ones. Inspired by his father, a leading businessman in the West Midlands, Sakib role models curiosity and a desire to understand the point of view of people with different experience, skills and backgrounds. Have a listen. Morning, Sakib, Thanks for joining me today.
1: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
0: For the benefit of the viewers, obviously you're a, an iconic person here in Birmingham, particularly at the Chamber of Commerce, but for the benefit of a a wider audience, um, can you explain who you are and what you do?
1: Well, I think you're too kind. Uh, My name is Saki Bhatti. I'm a chartered accountant by profession, and I'm president of the Greater Birmingham Chambers of Commerce.
0: Okay. And you've also been involved in the Asian Chamber of Commerce as well. Uh, Yeah,
1: I was the president of the Asian Business Chamber of Commerce. I was the youngest ever, Uh, and I'm now the honorary chair there, and I'm also a director of the uh, Local Enterprise Partnership. Mm-hmm.
0: So can you tell us what your experience of uncertainty is? Because I'm sure amongst all of that and, um, and your chartered accountancy, there's a whole range of uncertainty that you've uh, encountered.
1: Uh, absolutely. I mean, there's so much um... I would say you have to deal with uncertainty on a daily basis. And obviously, if you're in a leadership position, um, I always say heavy is the head that wears the crown, you know, which isn't something obviously I've made up, but it's, a, it's a, a, a quote that I've taken. But the truth is you're always trying to figure out uh, what the best way to deal with a certain situation is mm-hmm. uh, and the impact that, uh, that will have on the people around you, how that will reverberate in, uh, in, throughout the organisation uh, that you're dealing with. Um, but if I was to take forward probably one of the most uncertain periods in my life that i've ever had to been uh, been through or experienced is when i was an auditor uh, and i was training uh, with uh, one of the big four firms mm-hmm. um and uh, it was back in 2007 and i just left university um, and I joined um, I was at the LSE, which is almost a breeding ground for, uh, for bankers yeah um, and a lot of my friends went into investment banking and then uh, you know you could see that when you were talking to them you know, you know they were like oh you 're an auditor why are you doing that you know etc because your life was very good as a banker and then six months later uh, the credit crunch hit um, and i it was a really interesting slightly bizarre time because you were um, it 's it's, it's amazing how critical um, it it was uh, for the financial system at that time, where you didn't know uh, on a day-to-day basis whether what the world was going to look like, mm. especially when Lehman uh, Brothers collapsed. Yeah. Uh, so I was auditing uh, Alliance and Leicester, and I was a, I was still a relative junior at that time. So that mm-hmm. I obviously had to, I, It was right at the start of my career, um, and um, I we I remember uh, I'd already done one audit, and then we'd gone into the second one. And the first audit, as a as a junior, had asked, you know, what happens if you know someone. Doesn't pay uh, for the other side of a derivative or a contract, um, and I almost got laughed at the audit room at that time, saying, "Oh, you—that's ridiculous." You know, the other parties were like uh, Royal Bank of Scotland and uh, Halifax or uh, Northern Rock. Uh, of course, a year later, uh, so uh, you know, counterparty risk became a household name, mm-hmm. and you—you you know, every day you were going into work and you were glued to uh, Radio Four trying to hear what's happened uh, across the, uh, you know, the pond, uh, finding out what's going on. There. United States you know mm. you were hearing about General Electric AIG uh, and all these kind of um, uh, different things that were going on mm. so um, a it reiterated how you were a almost a small cog in a very very big wheel mm. uh, but also uh, the importance of what you were doing was really highlighted and the the importance of you know auditors get a, little, a bit of stick at the moment and they are mm. because when something goes wrong the first question is well why don't you auditors yeah um, you are it just reiterated how important it is what you're doing um, and You know, making sure that your team is focused, making sure that people around you, uh, you know, you're doing long hours trying to get the audit signed off and things like that. And Mm. you're trying to understand actually what what is the uh, global uh, scenario looking like and how that's impacting you. Yeah. Um, So it was a really interesting time. um, But in terms of uncertainty, it was all certainly all hands on deck.
0: Mm. And you said something interesting about um, how people said that, you know, that's a stupid question because that won't ever happen. And I think that's quite interesting because people often think they often hold themselves back from, from asking those stupid questions, yes. don't they? Yeah. Because they don't want to look foolish in front of people. Yeah. What, would your, what would your take be on that?
1: Well, look, I, I would say, first of all, um, I don't think that ever leaves you. I think we all do it. Um, I mean, um, I had a certain situation arise um, uh, a, cr- a few months ago where I'd seen something and I wish I'd said more uh, about it because when um, uh, someone had basically put out a, a, a tweet and um, I, it didn't really get picked up by the press until six months now, da- down the road um, but I wish I'd said something when I saw that tweet because mm. I looked at it and I thought oh that's a very odd thing for someone to say um, and w- when the whole picture g- came out actually uh, you know the press picked up on it because it was, it was a very um, um, it, it was a controversial tweet let's put it that way and I, yeah. that's all I can say about it um, And I thought to myself, I wish I just had the guts to say something at that time, but I I didn't. Um, But I I think the the thing is, what I've learnt in life now uh, is uh, you know, I'm 33, I'm the youngest ever president of the Chambers of Commerce. I st- I speak your mind, mm, um, mm. but also understand that you know if you're thinking it, probably there's about five six other people around the table yeah. who are also thinking it, who are thinking actually should I say something? Um, and actually, there's no wrong answer. You can always mm. uh, it's, you know it, it's very hard to look silly, especially in a boardroom situation. Yeah, you know, you know especially if you say, well, I might be wrong here, but this is what I think. I might you know, and then at least you are humble enough to leave the door open to someone to correct you then as well.
0: And do you think that's more relevant when there is uncertainty? Because when there is uncertainty by its very nature, we don't necessarily know what the future is going to hold. And we're we're certainly seeing that at the moment in the UK with with Brexit. But in in that situation, there's a tendency to think that everybody else knows the answer and you're the only one that's in the dark and you're the only one that, that isn't. In, in the know I mean what would your advice be to, to other well, other look, leaders as I said
1: you know uh, we, as leaders we deal with uncertainty on a daily basis mm. you know, uh, whichever scenario you're dealing with and I, I think for me the way I deal with uncertainty is a combination of having humility uh, and what that means is understanding that actually I don't have the answer to everything mm. um, and understanding there are people out there who have a better knowledge and really taking that experience from them, taking that knowledge, understanding why they've come to the position they have mm. um, and then kind of assessing for yourself actually what is right because you've also got to re- remember that you're in a leadership position so you understand or you may see a bigger picture than they are. Yeah. Uh, so as a leader, I always see yourself as a central kind of hub mm-hmm. in that wheel mm-hmm. Taking all the pieces of information and trying to understand what the best scenario is, um, and so far touch wood it hasn't pr- uh, you know sent me in the wrong direction because you know if I don't understand something I will get all the relevant pieces of information mm. um, and you can only you know I always say you can only do what you can do mm. uh, and try and be the best person you can be mm. and th- what that means is you try and get to the best result uh, for the greater good mm. um, and as long as you can justify it and you can sleep at night um, you know the, 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 that's all you can really ask of anyone mm. uh, so when it comes to dealing with uncertainty uh, it's, it's really a combination of being humble and uh, having the right people around you as well yeah. and trying to glean all that information in yeah. um, and it, it's, it sounds so simple but it's so hard to do it sometimes well
0: it is right. and you know it's interesting because you've you've talked about humility and it's yeah. not it's not necessarily number one up there of the list of leadership skills that people <laughs> should have although I, I believe it's a really crucial one yeah. but it's not one that people very often bring to the table or, or certainly talk about openly what, what's your experience of that?
1: well look the best leaders I've ever come across uh, have been incredibly humble. Um, and the ones, um, in fact, I probably am more attuned to it because I, I feel that's an essential ingredient. So if I see someone who is in a leadership position, but is, or you can kind of see the arrogance and ego, then you've got to kind of figure out is that getting in the way of them doing their job? Mm. Because ultimately, In my opinion that person will go wrong at some point Mm -hmm. Um, and then how you recover from that whereas if you um, even from a good governance point of view if you're if you're gleaning opinions from different people and understanding and getting experts to do you know tell you what they think Mm -hmm. Um, uh, for example we've uh, at the Asian Chamber before I stood down we uh, launched something called the diversity pledge Um, and where it all came from was there's a lot of talk around diversity and inclusion um, and said in the years I've been in uh, you know doing my extracurricular activities, like the Chambers of Commerce, etc, I see a whole load of initiatives. Uh, you know we want more women on boards, we want this, we want that but the, the, you know, there 's a lot of good intention, a lot of strategic stuff there 's very little delivery wow. um, uh, but I understood okay I, from a bain experience, you know being an ethnic minority, I have some understanding of it, okay. um, but I got people who had seen this, maybe had more experience than I did, and said what would you like to see a company do mm-hmm. you know let 's strip apart all the the, the, um, the cliches and the keywords and let's just go straight down to the nitty-gritty if you were a company what would you want them to be doing mm. um, uh, and yeah I, and also I didn't understand what the challenges were for example in the LGBT community or uh, if you've got a disability how, how you're affected etc mm-hmm. um, and so we got all the relevant people around the table and then we, we made a uh, what I would call a product um, that was uh, very, uh, you know, g- gleaned from all these pieces of information and the technical side of things. Um, and we basically launched a pilot uh, just before I stood down and it's been incredibly successful. Mm. You know, uh, we've got some of the biggest companies in the country signed up to this diversity uh, pledge, as we call it, and they, you know, and people will literally close the door and say, look, we really need your help. Uh, we really need to understand how we make our organisations more diverse. Mm. Um, and so the intention is there, yeah. but the delivery wasn't, right. um, uh, and you know, to help drive the Mayor's leadership uh, commission uh, as well, his leadership pledge as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me it was about okay well let's put this out there um and whether it's commercial or not i know we're doing something for the greater good mm. uh so yeah, the humility definitely plays a role in that because yeah. um, when i became the president of the asian chamber i was 28 you know, um, and I'd been running a family business, but, you know, there are, you know, I deal with entrepreneurs, uh, but there's a whole load of experience out there that I can glean from. And I still, mm. still to this day, talk to those people mm. who effectively mentored me or gave me free advice um, and, you know, work with me.
0: So, so I, what I'm hearing in that as well is bags of curiosity and, yeah. and that comes with humility. Yeah. To have the humility to be curious and to seek the answers from other people. Yeah. Do you, do you think that's more important than ever than ever before, with un, uncertainty? Because clearly, with uncertainty. Yeah you know, the days of being the leader and having all the answers and telling everyone what to do, you know, firstly, nobody's ever going to listen and, and do what you want them to do anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, those days are gone, aren't they?
1: Well, no, I st- look, as a leader, you're still going to have to do that, right? Yeah, but to it's a whether point. You take, yeah, to a point. But whether you take people with you yeah. or whether you, uh, whether you uh, do the kind of dictatorial approach, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. With a dictatorial approach, then you, you're always going to have this issue where at some point you're going to be wrong mm-hmm. and then how you deal with that. Um, And I think just the other thing is being humble doesn't mean being shy. It doesn't, no. mean, you know, it does mean being confident and mm. resolute, mm. and it does mean being okay. Once you've made your decision, because then, once as a leader, once you've made that decision with the right information, mm. like I said, you've got to take everyone with you, mm. and you've got to make sure that they buy into your vision. So you've got to spell that out. They've mm-hmm. got to understand what their role is mm. to make sure. You know, going back to when I was being an auditor, you know, the partner or the senior managers would come down and say, "Right, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it." Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and the result was, you know, at times we'd be spending. 14 hour days working 7 days a week trying to make sure uh, you know we were doing the best job possible Yeah, um, because you bought into a bigger vision as to what the company stood for mm. as to what our service was as to who we were and what, how, how it really defined us uh, as people mm. and I think the real essential elements of leadership are you know you, you have that first stage of humility, but you've got to be confident and resolute enough to say, right, this is the decision I made. Mm-hmm. This is how we're going to do it, mm-hmm. and then making sure the key people uh, buy into your into that vision. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always a what I would call a semi-democratic leader mm-hmm. because at some point there is always going to be a dictatorial. Approach you have to you make have a to, decision. You have at some to some point. make a decision and people <laughs> yeah. look to you. Um, and I've always I've almost uh, kind of grown up with that. Whereas you know um, in every you know if I look back on my Uh, upbringing you know my father was very uh, very uh, you know he's a very strong influence in my life and he was doing loads of stuff in the community Um, he was one of the first Asian Chartered Accountants in the West Midlands he was part of the board that helped bring the ball ring to Birmingham which is transformational Mm -hmm. you know he met presidents of Pakistan and he took me with him uh, just so I could kind of you know almost through osmosis absorb Mm -hmm. all that experience Mm -hmm. Um, and so for me it was always like okay where, when you've got to make a decision, this is how we're going to go, get from A to B, um, or this is where I want to get to, guys. How do we do this? Mm. Um, is it possible? Um, and I try and keep that. It, it does mm. get harder mm. because, you know, uh, ego cra- creeps in. People start to, you know, you, as, you, you know you st- as they say, pride comes before the fall. So okay. you, your pride does fill up mm. um, and you've just got to always remember where you came from. Right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, interesting one. I mean, in in the book, one of the things that I talk about, and one of the things that the book was based on um, interviews with CEOs from a a range of organisations. And one of the things that almost all of them said was things have always been uncertain, which is, you know, which is where you started. Um, But the other thing that they talked about was the need to create as much clarity as you possibly can and create a vision so that even when things are uncertain, you have some sense of where you're wanting to head, even if you don't know the how you're going to get there. Yeah. Um, I wonder, what's your experience of that?
1: Well, look, you mentioned uh, things like Brexit, uh, for example. And I was a Brexiteer, and I, I was actually on the board of Vote Leave, so I was probably one of the most senior ethnic minorities. I led a national campaign around it. Um, and if we look at what's happening with Brexit now, you know, it, putting the negotiations and all the, the game playing to one side, I think one of the greatest risks we have as a country at the moment is that we don't really... Um, We need more intellectual leadership at the moment Mm. is what I'm thinking because Mm. uh, that is something when we talk about uh, people uniting and buying into something. I think people need a vision to buy mm, into Absolutely. Um, and I think yeah. for, for example when the Prime Minister came in uh, to number 10 and she did that great speech on the steps of Downing Street I think a lot of people bought into that mm. um, and I, I think people need to, um, ho- the, my hope for post Brexit is actually we have that you know uh, that almost that vision as to where we want the country to go mm. um, because I've got no doubt in my mind uh, that you know we are passionate people on both sides and they're both patriots Yes. so we, yeah. both, you know, we forget that sometimes yeah. if they are you know because then with all the anger and the, the uncertainty and the frustration, but they're both patriots. So yeah. how are we going to, if you're going to bring the country together, yeah. it's got to be through one united vision. Um, and that's my hope, that once we've left, um, you know, we just understand where we're going to go. And you are starting to see that, by the way. Mm-hmm. Just today, there was a headline around, are we going to reduce our tariffs? So my vision would be, actually, let's have a more free market, free trading economy, which is going to be a necessity. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to have to be an attractive place to do business, mm-hmm. which is going to force us to, have less tariffs, force us to have lower taxes, and be competitive with the rest of the world. Mm. So there are possibilities out there, but I, I feel at the moment there's no one person spelling that out um, because, unfortunately, you know, and it was inevitable that Brexit's kind of paralysed that kind of thought-making process because we've got to get through this negotiation.
0: And I think one of the challenges, and again, I talk about this on, in in the book, is one of the challenges in uncertainty is we get those polarized views and yes. then people stay very fixed in that and yeah. there's very little humility very little curiosity and very little clarity in all of that yeah. so it's really interesting that those are the three things that we've talked about that are absolutely missing yeah. In Brexit, but but also are three things that are often missing in any other major uncertainty that we experience, whether it's in business or or you know in economically or socially.
1: By the way, I think those voices are there. You know, you've got people who are setting out the vision. Not one voice is loud enough and the history maker or Mm -hmm. the history making leader will be the one person who steps up and says, uh, who is able to cut through all of that Mm -hmm. um, and say, you know, and almost gets people buying into that vision. And normally it is the centre ground that will do that and it Mm -hmm. will drag people out of that. Um, But it's going to have to be, again, someone who's resolute and strong enough to be able to say, right, this is where we're going. and I think people are crying out for that yeah. uh, through, uh, you know, no one says it like I've just said it. It will be through different ways, mm-hmm. uh, but you can see it you know, through their emotional experience that they're going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, a good leader should be attuned to that and trying to figure out, OK, this is what that person is really saying. You know, it, when they're angry, actually, this is where that emotion is coming from. Mm-hmm. So it's not to get distracted by all the white noise. We're trying to see, right, this is where we've got to get to. Um, and this is how we're going to do that. So that's my hope.
0: Do you think that leaders in business are more skilled in that, in cutting through that white noise and and creating that vision and bringing people with them than politicians? Uh,
1: I, yeah, I think so. I, I think so. I think it's a necessity. I, I don't think it's as uh, black and white as that, though, because mm. obviously politicians are... Uh, you know the great ones are great orators. Uh, you know they get people to follow them, etc. However, I think a necessity of business because it is almost um, uh, you know a jungle out there, and you've got to be able to survive. Um, which means you've got to be uh, you know you've got to be agile, you've got to be quick moving, you've got to have uh, people who uh, uh, have bought into that vision to move that company forward. Mm. Um, you know it's the difference between being a sole trader and being a company which has five, six, ten employees, or maybe even more than that uh, because those employees will then drive the company forward they'll, they'll almost define the character of the company mm-hmm. uh, and ultimately that will come from the leadership because if your yeah. leader is strong um, and if he's strong and open and inclusive your organisation will be strong and open and inclusive mm-hmm. if he's dictatorial and he's cutthroat and he's focused on but the bottom line and shareholder returns and nothing else and you know, then your company will be focused on that because you'll have a more sales uh, focused approach yeah. uh, so I don't think it's, a, it's, a, it's simply a matter of of, oh, uh, business leaders are better because that's not necessarily the mm. case. It's but different. It, it's yeah. different, but the, yeah. it, the necessity of the environment that they're working in means they have to uh, have to be more agile and, and be better at leadership uh, and be better communicators, and mm. that's the only way really to succeed. Mm. So.
0: In terms of um, size of business, you touched on yeah. um, you know solopreneurs versus yeah organizations with you know half a dozen or 10 employees what about larger organizations do you think it's harder for them to bring everyone with them when you've got I mean I work for IBM so I okay. was <laughs> I was one of 400,000 people yeah, worldwide yeah, yeah. Um, so I just wondered you know from your chamber experience what's your experience in terms of businesses bringing people with them to, to a vision is it easier with a smaller business than it is with a a larger business.
1: Well, look, I run a small business, right? I've got ten employees, and for me, you know, it, it's because it's an open plan office. So I just need to raise my voice so everyone can hear me. Uh, you know, and uh, still polite, by the way. I'm not shouting. <laughs> yeah. I'm just just loud. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, um, but I think the the larger business, of course, it's going to be harder. But you've mm-hmm. got to figure out ways mm-hmm. of having communication, and I think training is very, very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and training for your managers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know the i i am a firm believer that if you're a leader and you believe in having good morale you know, amongst your office mm-hmm. that would, then your managers know that that's where your uh, where your objectives are mm-hmm. uh, but ultimately uh, you've got to have you know from a governance point of view you should have good strong processes but also from a communication point of view um, and then uh, I think training comes into uh, is very very important in mm. that because ultimately your managers your senior managers become your mouthpiece as a leader yeah. um, and of course as you get bigger and you've got FTSE, uh 100 footsy 250 companies you know it's almost a necessity of, uh, from a you know legal standpoint for your company mm. to be, uh, be uh, good from a, a communication point of view because mm. you know you don't know something might be going wrong, and if your staff don't feel, you know, even the most junior person doesn't feel they can have an avenue of. You know they've only got one line manager that they can communicate through. Yeah. Then it can only foster uh, something negative, I think. Mm. So and sometimes that's why you see uh, the situations that uh, have occurred. And if you you know going back to the credit crunch, I've I've, you know met CEOs of banks after you know and they recognise that the you know previous CEOs had done you know were were a different type of leader. Uh, You know they've clearly said uh, to me, well actually you know um, we're much more inclusive. We're much more open to hearing what our staff have to say. uh, You know and. Uh, if you take Lehman Brothers, for example, and, you know, if you, t- you know, take Dick Fold and, you know, he had a reputation for uh, the CEO of Lehman Brothers. But he had a reputation for being uh, very brawshy, uh, mm-hmm. and You know, he used to push his agenda through, etc. Mm-hmm. I, I think now people are more and more recognising that even in that environment, uh, that is a negative, has a negative consequence. It was over time, wasn't it? it and I think the world is
0: moving on. and, yeah. and well, you We can't be complacent. We people, can't. You
1: know? I, I think the thing is it will happen again because mm. you know in that environment it's a very you know it was a very alpha male uh, environment and that mm. was what was rewarded mm. um, actually um, you know if you want to be uh, if you if you're an organization that now understands its broader purpose in society as I think banks are starting to mm. um, you know and they have got a lot of stick for not doing so or the big organizations have um, and then your your leadership credentials will have to adapt to the changing environment in society. Mm.
0: You mentioned the importance of training. Yes. Um, obviously, the Greater Birmingham Chambers of Commerce is running the Grow Through People campaign yeah. at the moment. What, what's so important? Why do you think that's so important?
1: So for those people who don't know what Grow Through People is, it's been, it's been a series of workshops and lectures and panel discussions. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm a free marketeer and I always say, let the market show you, what, uh, you know, whether there's a demand or not. And Grow Through People, uh, I think it's in its third year now, uh, and you know, we do about 15 events. And the rooms are packed, mm-hmm. and it just says to me that there's such a need for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so proud that the Chambers of Commerce and the policy team have taken the lead on this and done something quite innovative. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of discussing different aspects of leadership, and you know whether it's inclusiveness or whether it's strong leadership or responsible leadership. Um, you know, there is no one school for this kind of thing, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, I say that because I know there's leadership courses, etc. But you know, who has time to always go out on those? You know, if you're an entrepreneur you're working on a business, or you're a CEO, you know, you've got a hundred million things to be focusing on. Um, And actually, when we've done these growth through people stuff, you've got a great array of people. um, And the audience is so engaged, and they'll be giving their experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, I chaired something on inclusive growth about two weeks ago, and we ended up talking about um, uh, leadership and uh, the role of NDAs. Um, So, you know, when bad leaders... Uh, do something, and they get NDAs, and how that's changing. And I, you know, I wasn't expecting the. You know, we started about the role of technology in leadership, so I yeah. wasn't expecting the discussion <laughs> to go down that road. Um, but actually, it was so interesting that to, even to me, and I was sat there learning. I was thinking, wow, that's really interesting. I've never, you know, I never thought this would be relevant to us. So um, it's it's a real. Uh, innovative way we've done this where we've done these panel discussions, group events etc. You know we've led the discussion but actually we are a lot of the people in those rooms uh, are leaders in their own right Mm. which brings me to something else, which is, I don't think, you know, when you talk about whether you're born a leader or uh, mm. whether you can be a leader, I, I genuinely believe most people can be trained to be a leader. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, sometimes I say to someone, I say, you're going to make a great leader because, you know, I can see that they've got that clarity of thought or they're really communicative. Yet they haven't got the confidence in themselves to do it. Yeah. Um, uh, and so when you do the growth through people stuff, what you see is actually there's a whole, uh, you know, array of leadership in the room, right, mm. in different ways. Mm. Uh, and people are willing to talk to each other and learn from each other. So mm. it's been a real success, in my opinion.
0: Great. Yeah. Sakib, thank you. Um, before you go, yeah. what kind of a leader are you?
1: Oh, oh you know, I, I, I hate talking about myself, <laughs> but I'll tell you. About it. Um, What I hope I am is someone who's open to listening Um, and Mm -hmm. is someone who's able to make a decision and he he tries to take people with him and Mm -hmm. that's all I can do. But um, I think the real question will be for other people to decide Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of leader I am. So, you know, uh, ask me in two years time once I've done my uh, presidency (laughs) of the chamber and we'll see how people take You'll have had all the feedback. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. good or bad.
0: And final question for you. What keeps you awake at night?
1: I... I was, well, I was talking to my best friend yesterday and uh, we were talking about routine and a routine of our daily lives, etc. And I said, you know, I always uh, ask myself at the end of the week, what value did I add to society this week, you know, and uh, it's, it's not something I would say keeps me up at night, but it's something certainly I, 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 it's on the forefront of my mind where, you know, you, you do all these things and you have a tendency to fall into a bit of a rut and actually, am I doing stuff which is helping people mm-hmm. um, uh, and, you know, I advise the mayor uh, of the West Midlands. Um, um, and you know, you'll often hear us speaking about homelessness, for example, which isn't in his portfolio, mm-hmm. but it's just something we see and we want to do something about. Yeah. So I, I think you know, uh, it's always this constant drive to be bigger than, uh, uh, you know, have a have a plan or have a thought process that's bigger than ourselves. That's what wonderful. Thank,
0: thank you. you. On that note, thank you, thank you Sakib. It's been fantastic to talk to you. We've thank covered you. so much there. Yeah, it was right. excellent.
1: Yeah, <laughs> no, I look forward to reading your book.
0: <laughs> I love Sakib's idea that the history-making leader will be the one who can cut through all the chaos and provide the clarity of vision. We certainly need more of that in both politics and in business. I also loved his take on humility and the strength of character that it requires, in particular when he said, being humble doesn't mean being shy, it means being confident and resolute. You have to take everyone with you and make sure everyone buys into your vision. Easier said than done, of course, but that's the challenge we face. Sakib seems to navigate the fine balance between curiosity, humility, and the courage of his convictions, and demonstrates the challenge we have as leaders to hold potentially paradoxical skills in perfect harmony. Until next time, how does the balance of humility, curiosity, and the courage of your convictions feature in your leadership? That's it for this podcast. I was your host, Jude Jennison from Leaders by Nature. Keep leading and I'll come back soon with the next interview on Leading Through Uncertainty.